when we have an encounter with you, Lord, when you come in to our lives, we are changed. I thank you, God, that when we allow you in, you're a gentleman. You don't force yourself on anybody. It's a choice. We have to choose you. But I thank you, Lord, that once we choose to believe that you are who you said you were and who you are today, that when we believe that you are the Son of God and that you died and were raised from the dead, taking our place on that cross, I thank you, Lord, that something supernatural happens inside of us and we are changed, we are freed, and we are given life. I pray, Lord, that your word as it's spoken today, in Jesus' name, would cut us deep, Lord. Cut us right to the heart. Speak to our hearts today and show us, Lord, who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What well, is good to be gathered together. Really good to be here. We, uh, Dawn and I, are just absolutely honored to be uh, together with you guys. We've just, we've been, been doing some talking this week, and um, we we're just saying, man, how different things could be in our lives. I'm just glad that God's in control, because we would make some choices and some decisions that are different than what the ones that God makes, and uh, we're just grateful for God being in control. Let Him make the decisions, right, Tony? Yeah, that's it. I know, you just have to kind of say, okay, God, because that's how it is. Um, he's in control. How funny, you know, um, I say this often, it can feel like the rat race. We can feel like an ant in an ant farm, you know, running, 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 doing, 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 going, 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 building, building, building. Meanwhile, you've got God right outside the glass looking at you and saying, that's great. I'm not saying to stop. I'm not saying that's not important, but there's more. That's not it, but we, 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 get our life, we get so focused. And meanwhile, you've got God over here saying, I love you, but there's more. Your little thing that you're doing. But the ant, he doesn't know that. All he knows is to do what he's doing. He's, he's got his world to build. And that's much like humanity today. Humanity is going, doing, being I mean, it's about survival. You got 50 cent. You hear me say this often. Get rich or die trying. That's the world. But meanwhile, there's more. But our perspective is, is it's tough to see outside of our glass box like the ant. That You can't convince that ant that there's more. They won't even understand it. Try to explain an ant about us watching them from the outside. They know that there's something out there. They know there's something watching them. They just can't, you, they will never get. And the thing is, we don't need to try to get God. We don't need to understand everything about God. We just need to realize that he's in control. If we try to understand every little part about him, we'll miss the relationship that he wants to have with us. But what happens, right, when we start walking with God, when we just, it started with simple belief. For every one of us here that walks with the Lord, starts with, I believe you. We don't know a thing. But what happens, it just starts unraveling. You do start to see things differently. 
You do start to look at the world and look at space, and you hear me say these things often. You start looking at people differently because something begins to happen. You do start to understand what you can't, but you can't just try to understand it first. It will never work. It only happens once you, you literally have to lay it down and say, I believe. And that's your choice. There were millions upon millions of people, even in the, the day that Jesus walked the earth, that decided not to believe. And we know that because they put him on a cross. We know that there were people that didn't believe then. It's not a new thing to not believe. We, when we believe in him, Something begins to happen. Something begins to change in us. And this, this month has been really special. I've had more feedback from this sermon series than any of them ever. And so I just want to close this series with a bang, if we can here. We've been taking our text from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. I feel like the Lord wanted us to go here this month because... We are literally in a time where you can think anything you want. Anything, it's, we're starting to enter a time where anything goes. You can be anybody. And we're entering a time where we're, not just that you can be anybody, but we're being forced to accept anybody as anything they are. We're just, we're, you don't be surprised. Don't be ignorant that, we're, that times are changing. Don't be ignorant. Things are changing. When they start taking the men's room off the, the door and the women's room off the door, now you just have two unisex rooms. Don't tell me that times are not changing. The world is changing. And the temptation for the church would be to go with the flow of society, go with the changes of the culture, instead of sticking to the Word of God. And that's not a new temptation. This is an old temptation. The church, the Bible says, I read from you in Second Peter last week, and I have some text here from Timothy, that some of these apostles, they saw this coming. Peter wrote that there is a, there is other, there's other things. There's going to be challenges to the word. They're going to start mixing the word with other things. They're going to start twisting it and changing it. And the temptation for the church is because we need to try to adapt to this culture. We need to love them. How do we love the person who doesn't know who they are? Doesn't even know what sex they are now. And the reality is, is we do need to love them. But we can't change our standards as the church to love them. It would be like a parent who's got an unruly child who just won't submit and the child just says, I'm going to do what I want and when I want and how I want. The parent will always love that child. There's no lack of love just because the parent is angry when they come in the door as they please, doing as they please. There's no lack of love in that parent, is there? And so the temptation is that to become like the world to try to adapt with the world, change with the world as it's changing. We cannot do that because the Bible warns us that as soon as we do that, you start believing in a different gospel. You've heard me say most of the weeks of this sermon, we say we believe in Jesus. We say we love Jesus. Well, which Jesus do you love? 
Which Jesus are you following? Are you following the Jesus of the Bible? Or are you following the Jesus that was written about in the Quran? A totally different faith with a totally different God, but Jesus is in there. What about when men in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s said, hey, we, we've decided to make some changes to the word. We realize that there's more. We realize that it doesn't really apply. And so we had all these sects of Christianity that popped out, Jehovah's Witnesses, that just decided we're just going to change the Bible. It's been written for 2,000 years, but I'm going to make the decision on my own to change it. And we see that what happens is when we don't rely on the Word, we start changing it to adapt to what we think, what we feel, to, to the culture, we start getting off and we get weird stuff. Today, we have Christian science. Talk about getting weird, that we're all God. We're just floating around, that you're, you're not really even here. And so I believe that the Lord gave me this text to show us, to keep us. He gives us not a tool. It's not a tool. It is the life that you need, the Word of God. At some point, you have to just believe that it's His Word. If you don't believe it's God's Word, it's not going to work for you. I've said it, and I'll say it again. There are theologians and people in colleges across the world that are way smarter than me. They know the Bible better than me, but they don't know the Bible. They know the text, but they don't know the Jesus of that book. And so the key is letting this word that is in a book come to life what happens is, is when you decide to believe it. It's not just words anymore. Now these stories, now these words that we have in red that Jesus actually spoke, and John said, John wrote it down, he said, I had to write down everything I could remember that he said, but I suppose if I wrote down everything he ever did and said, there wouldn't even be enough room in the books of the world to contain all that Jesus did. But I wrote down as much as I could, and Matthew and Mark and Luke did the same. And we can read them as words and say, I've read it, I don't understand it, it doesn't make sense, or we can apply our belief to it. We can look like the ant and say, I don't get you, it doesn't make sense, and I'm trying to make sense of it based on dirt, and only dirt, that's all I have. You can't even understand what God's realm is. We can't, we're not gonna get him, but we know that there's more. And when your belief starts lining up with his word, something begins to happen. And we've been reading that the word, the Bible, that God ordained. I mean, he preserved this thing for thousands of years just to be read today. He preserved it for you to hear it today. It says that something begins to happen. Something begins, a life begins to come inside you. Not from the words, but when your belief in the words line up, life starts coming, life starts happening in you. And, the, and those that have turned their life over to Jesus can testify 
that you were just like all of us. We're like, I don't know. Doesn't make sense. What about this? What about that? But you know what? I'm not God, so I give up. And what happened? Something supernatural began to happen in you. You just began to think differently. You began to look at the world differently. And the Bible says that what happens is the Bible, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And I was thinking about this. The writer here in Hebrews, he had no way to describe. He says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. The sharpest sword at the time of writing 2,000 years ago would be a double-edged sword. But he doesn't even know how to describe what's happening to you. All he could say was it's sharper. He says that it cuts, it divides between the breath of life, the soul, and the spirit. This, the word of God, it gets between your, your soul is your thinking and your feelings and your emotions and your intellect. And you got it all figured out. You got life planned out. You got life figured out. Then you got this spirit man that God's tugging on from the moment you're born. He's tugging on your spirit. And you know it. You know he's tugging on you. You, can't, you can run. You are allowed to run because that's your choice. He gave us free will. But you can't really run from it. It's always there. But the word of God, it gets in between that place like a scalpel with precision. It separates, it says, it gets down in between the joints and the marrow of your being. No sword of that day could do that. He didn't even know how to describe it. It's so sharp. The word of God, basically, it does something that the natural can't do. Something supernatural begins to happen in you. When the word, when you apply your belief to this Bible, to the words that Jesus spoke, to the prophets that prophesied of Jesus coming, when your mind gets shelved and you say, I'm going to shelf my intellect, I'm going to shelf me and all my thinking, and I'm going to believe that you formed the earth, that you had a plan and a purpose for me, and that you sent Jesus Christ to die in my place for my sin. And when you do that, something begins to happen supernaturally to the deepest parts of your nature. And the word exposes and sifts and analyzes and judges the very thoughts and purposes of your heart. Why do we need the Word to do this? Why do we need the Word? Because you in yourself will think all kinds of wacky stuff, don't we? Who would like to put their thoughts? I'm just going to offer this up. So far, it's only um, 10 o'clock, uh, 11 o'clock, sorry, whatever time it is. That clock is broken. It is 11.50. I don't have a clock today, so I may go along. No, it's not broken. I don't know how to read a clock. <laughs> 11.50 and 10 o'clock are the same, different hands. See, something with numbers for me. You give me a mic, give me numbers. I'm going to mess it up. I don't even know what I was saying. Huh? Who would like to put their thoughts up to 11.50 on the blackboard right here. See this? We can write on that black. Dawn's got a piece of chalk. Was any, anybody like to put all of them too, not the ones you like? No. Our minds and our hearts 
it's a dark place when we're really honest. When we're really honest. Now, we don't have to live by it. I mean, you think stuff and you don't necessarily have to follow that thought. Some people follow every thought they think and you see what happens in their life. Right? This is what the Bible says about your heart. The Bible says that the heart in Jeremiah 17, 9, the book of Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? It says in the Amplified, who can understand it fully? Who can understand it? Who can know it? Who can understand and be acquainted with his own heart and mind? It says in Psalm 19, verse 12, how can I, this is David talking to the Lord, and he's praying to the Lord, and he says, how can I know the sins lurking in my heart? It says in Proverbs 21, 2, People may be right in their own eyes. We're all right in our own eyes, aren't we? We all think we got it right, but the person next to you, they've got it wrong. I've got it all figured out, but they're a little off. They're close, but they're off. Proverbs 14, verse 12, and in 16, 25, you said it twice in the Proverbs, the exact same line. When you see something twice, word for word in the Bible, I'd pay attention. It says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. The Bible warns us not to trust your own heart. You start making up religions, you start making up theories about life and about what matters and what counts. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, the subway guy. Because that was so fresh, this is last year. You think the guy's a normal guy, You're all, everybody's proud of him, he lost all this weight. And then all of a sudden, the guy turns out to be a freak. Because he listened to his heart. He says, I can't help it. A 12-year-old girl, it's the way I feel. It's the way I feel. You're going to feel all kinds of things. You're going to think all kinds of things. And I'm being extreme to paint the picture for you. You can't trust your own heart. You can't trust your own thinking. You have to literally decide, I'm going to believe God. And when we try to mix us in there, if you could put Hebrews 4.12 up there, I started on this last week. If you try to mix you in there, the Bible calls that the soul realm. The Bible says there's two parts of you. There's the spirit realm. That's a part of you that God made. That's a part of you that will live forever. Then there's the part of you, the soul, that starts making decisions of what I think and what I feel and what I want. But the Bible says that the only thing, the only way to truly know what's right and what's wrong, what's real and what's not, what is, what is real, what really matters, who decides what matters, 
Why is there, I said last week, why is there a moral compass in everybody? Even if you don't believe in God, there's a moral compass in an atheist. How's that possible? How do you decide? What if I decided that murder's all right? Why is it not? Why is murder not right? And they go, well, just because it is. But there's, what's the gauge? What's the basis for that? Where's that come from? Because there's a spirit in men and women. There's a spirit in us that God put there, and it doesn't like murder. But our soul, the part of us that chooses, that thinks and feels, what we do in that soul place is we decide, well, I won't murder, but I'll hate. I won't murder, but I'll have road rage. You're basically murdering that person behind the wheel, aren't you? I hope you die right now. If I had a bigger, who has said this? If I had a bigger car and enough money and enough lawyers behind me, I'd run you off the road. Has anybody besides me thought that? It wasn't a Christ-like thought, but I've thought it. See, Jesus said in Matthew 22, he says, you have heard, I'm sorry, not Matthew, Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. That makes sense to us. But Jesus says, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment, verse 22. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to the same judgment as murder. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. What is Jesus doing when he, had, he has this? This is in Matthew 5, and he says this about, a, I'm not going to go into all the topics for your sake. <laughs> but Jesus goes into some topics, and what does he do? He says, okay, we get that. Murder makes sense. That makes sense. Anybody knows that. Whether we believe in Jesus or not, whether we believe in God, something, there is a moral compass that we're just, it's there because it's there, I guess, apparently. No one put that there. Just, you know, we just have it. But Jesus says, let's get right to the heart of the matter. Let's cut through the soul and the spirit. Let's just get right to the heart. Let's get right to the core, right to the center. When somebody murders, what's the real issue? Anger. What he's saying is, is maybe you haven't committed the murder, but the Bible says that God says, man looks at the appearance, man looks at the outside, man looks at everything all figured out and life's great, right? I mean, who's ever seen, it was, I think it's called True Hollywood Stories, is that right? Is that what it's called? Whatever, you got the idea. These true stories of you find out that this person who had it all together and they had the money and the Ferraris and the pools and the houses in Italy and et cetera, et cetera, and then you find out that the people had some, real, they had some real issues. Their money bought them more drugs, bought them more women, and caused all kinds of problems. 
We look at the outside and we look at all of the polished, nice. We look at the people and we look at how they're acting and everything and it looks right to our eyes. But Jesus says, let's get right to the heart. And remember from sermon one in this series, who's the word? Jesus is the word. The Bible came to life in a person. When Jesus walked the earth, everything was written about him. And then everything that was written in the New Testament is about the time he was on the earth. And then as he left, the rest of the New Testament into Revelation is how to live now that Jesus has given you the ability to walk like him and the opportunity to live with him in eternity. That's the word of God. So Jesus is the word and the word is speaking here. The word is cutting between the soul and the spirit. It's going deep. He's cutting them real deep here. Because they're all going, I don't, yeah, I don't murder. Tell me something I, you know, that I don't know. And he says, okay. Well, have you ever called someone an idiot? I have. <laughs> have you ever cursed someone? I've never cursed anybody ever. But I just lied there, so now I committed another sin. <laughs> Jesus goes right to the heart. Why do we need the Word of God? Why do we need the whole thing and not just decide to make up religion as we go along? Because we'll all say, well, we don't murder. We've got that figured out. We're good, man. Look at us, God. We're not murdering. And God's going, but you're murdering them in your heart. And I don't look at the outside, I'm looking at your heart. That's the place I look. Let's listen to God. If, if he says that he looks at our heart, and Jesus deals with the heart, then that's where it is that we need to deal with. Not the action. The action in your life is a result of the way you are inside. It says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he starts telling, he's trying to get the people to realize that this world is temporary, that you're on an ant farm. He's not telling you to just to go out on a deserted island and once you become a Christian, forget the world. He's not telling you that. Still, he still, Jesus at the other, commends the ant for their diligence in their life, right? But what he's saying is, is he says in Matthew 6, he's trying to get them to realize that there's more, that there's eternity after this life is done. And he's telling them, don't store up everything. Don't put all you've got into this life because one day it's going to be over. And then what? And he says in 619 in the book of Matthew, where your treasure is... There your heart is also. What you put the focus on, what's your life so, I mean, what your, where's your focus? What are you thinking and feeling and all these things? And it's, it says, that's, that's your heart. You want to see your heart. Why? Because it's your actions. If you are doing things to set up, everything is about you setting up here on earth, then that reveals the heart issue in you. But if God finds you as one that you just can't give enough, all you want to do is for other people, what is that revealing? Something inside your heart. 
So God's after the heart, and if he's after the heart, and if it's about the heart, and if Jesus spends some time talking about the heart, then the writer here in Hebrews is telling us the only way to truly walk with God, to truly know that you are living right, that your life counts, that it matters, is that it's from the heart. And don't think that you got that figured out, because you don't. The only way that you can steer your heart is by my word. It says in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, we don't read Ezekiel a lot from the pulpit, but you know, the, when the apostles and even Jesus himself, when they spoke and they quoted the word, these are the guys they were quoting. It's the Old Testament. It was never meant to be shelved and forgotten. The Old Testament is what prophesied Jesus coming. And then Ezekiel's prophesying for the very time we live in now. And he said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your, nobody's here like this. I'm just reading this for the sake of reading it today. You know, just to be formal, but no one has a stony, stubborn heart here. And he will give you a tender, responsive heart. How does that happen? It's a supernatural thing. I don't want you to think that if you read the Bible enough and you come and attend this church enough, that, that that's it. It is a supernatural thing. It has to be your belief lined up with the Word and the whole Word. If you say you believe in Jesus, but you only believe in the Jesus that you like and not the part of Jesus you don't, then now all of a sudden you are serving another God. It has to be who Jesus is. You either love him who he is or you don't because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. He tells us clearly. He doesn't dance around the subject. He tells us clearly. So it's a supernatural thing, though, that happens inside you. You can't just choose to obey. You don't even have the power in you to obey. Your heart, we read the scriptures, is thinking all kinds of things is right. This is right. That's right. This is what I feel. Well, God, don't you know what that person said to me? I'm right in this situation. I deserve this. And we start thinking all those types of thoughts, don't we, as people. Now, God's not surprised by that, so he said, listen, John and Mark and James and Peter and the writer of Hebrews, listen, you need to pen these pages down and you need to make sure they're preserved. In fact, when you see Paul writing to Timothy and you see Peter writing, they said, I've told you these things before. You hear them say this a lot in their books, but I'm going to tell you again. Because your heart just starts, we say we believe, we say we love, and then we just start going our way. It's our human nature. God's not surprised by it, and he doesn't love you any less. But he wants to steer you <clears throat> in the right direction. And how does he do that? He does that through his word. That's why it was preserved for you. And it says in verse 27, 
Once God does something supernatural in you, once you put your belief, you line it up with the word, something supernatural in you happens and it says you will follow my spirit in you. You will be able to follow my decrees and you will be careful to obey my regulations. How does that happen? Your belief lines up with his word. And then because that's where it started, that's where it's maintained. You can't just say, okay, you hear me say this a lot. You can't just say, okay, Lord, thank you for my happy meal. I'll see you in eternity. Because you will end up somewhere weird. We see that. We have proof of that, even just in this generation of <clears throat> the name of Jesus, of an idea of Jesus. People say, I just like the words in red. But it's funny, the people that will say that, they don't actually live by all of them anyway. They like the part where Jesus says, love. They just like that one word, really, without the interpretation of what that is, because Jesus said the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friends. If somebody was heading off a cliff... Wouldn't you chase that person even if it cost you your own life falling off the cliff with them to save them? The whole picture. We need the whole thing. Otherwise, your heart, it's just, I mean, we just, it's, we have to believe it. And you know it. Because we already talked about it. You put your heart up on the blackboard today. And it's simple. It's very easy to see then. Once we have, we'd have to expose it to everybody, then we realize what's in there. And that should show us why we need him in us. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Proverbs 3 verse 1, it says, My child, never forget the things I taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Why did he tell him that? Why did he say that? Because he was aware of the heart, wasn't he, when he wrote this? And then he says in verse 5, and many of you know these verses. We quote these, we love them. But it's key to put in verse, the first verse first, isn't it? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Why does he warn us of our own understanding? Because your own understanding of things is going to steer you wherever it feels right. But when we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, verse 6, seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take, or he will make your path smooth. In other versions, he will straighten your path. He'll direct you. When you put your heart in his heart, something begins to happen. He starts showing you the way. And it's going to look really opposite of the rest of the world. Jesus warned us of that. Jesus said, listen, it wouldn't be fair, disciples, if I didn't warn you of this before I go. I'm sure that Jesus wasn't laughing when he had this conversation. It was probably a tear in his eye, and he said, listen, 
the world hates me. I'm sure that he was thinking, I don't get it. I'm giving them everything. Everything they have, I gave them. The breath they're breathing in their lungs today, I gave them. But they just want to do what they want to do. They want to believe what they want to believe. And they hate me and they're going to put me on a cross. But I need to warn you. If you follow me, just like they hate me, they're going to hate you. He warns us of that. So all of a sudden, when you start living by his word, you start letting his word straighten your heart and direct your heart, don't expect it to look like anything in the world around you. Because the world says, me, myself, and I. The world says, right? Who drove here today? Everybody. Who got cut off at least once? We're talking a lot about road rage today. I guess the Lord's dealing with somebody. Maybe me. Your nature, their nature is, I'm first. I matter more than you. When somebody cuts you off, that's what they're saying, without saying. Your life is less important than mine. I have more priorities than you do. That's what they're saying. Now, Jesus says, when somebody cuts you off, if he was to talk about cars, he would say, let two people cut you off. He says, somebody steals from you, let them have more. He says, somebody punches you, let them punch you again. Jesus' way is not ever going to line up with the world. And when we try to mix the two together, we're going to get into some sort of weirdness. And the world, as we can see, it wasn't like that just 40 years ago. There was always a heart issue, but people weren't like that. I mean, I wasn't driving 40 years ago, but I'm aware of the culture that it was, hello, thank you, how you doing? Everybody said hello to everybody. Everybody knew everybody. You go. No, you go. It's changing because darkness is increasing. That's the reality. The devil is on a plan just like God is, and he's trying to, the Bible says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. You want to know if the devil's real or not? Just look at the culture. And there's still good in it because God's still alive. I'm not saying the whole thing is bad. We're still here. There's babies still being born. There's marriages. There's life. There's air. We're here today. God is still alive. God's still on the throne. But darkness is creeping up. It's growing. It's clear that things are changing. And we need his word more than ever. Otherwise, you will, you will start mixing those things together. And you're going to start to become more and more separated. You're going to start looking more and more like a weirdo. Why? Because you want to do the right thing? We're ostracized because we care? Because we love? And Timothy, I'll close with this. In the first book, uh, second book of Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14 Paul writes to Timothy, I told you, I was going to get to some of this, we'll close with this. He says, listen, Timothy, you need to remain faithful. He warned him 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the same warning God's giving us today. I'm warning you, Timothy, you have to remain 
faithful to the things you have been taught. What things have you been taught? From the word. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Verse 15. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures, so remain faithful to the Holy Scriptures. From childhood, they have given you the wisdom to receive. You are able to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Your heart says what's true. But God says what's really true. Your heart has a truth. It doesn't mean it's the truth. Who's ever been offended by somebody only to find out you misheard what they said? And meanwhile, you have a truth that you have set up and lived by, and it was all in a lie. You can't trust your heart. You can only trust the Word of God, and that's why it cuts down. It cuts right through all of you, gets through your intellect, gets through your soul, gets through that spirit, and gets right to the heart, and it will deal with you if you let it. And it says that it will teach us what is true. The word will make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it in verse 17 to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And then there wasn't chapters and verses when he wrote this. It's just a letter. So right into 2 Timothy chapter 4. We see it as a new chapter, new verse, and you know, and when you're reading, sometimes you know you read the one the first day, then you read the next one the next day. But he's writing. This goes, this is the same thought. So he's continuing. He says to Timothy, now listen, based on that, I solemnly urge you, I urge you, Timothy. You've been taught it, you came to Christ through it. There's, there's something happened in you through those scriptures, and I urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead. Jesus will judge whether you like that or not, whether you believe it or not, he's going to do it. But because he's going to, when he comes set up his kingdom, verse 2, preach the word of God. Be prepared. For the time is for whether the time is favorable or not. In other words, whether it makes sense in the moment, whether they're going to listen to you or not, that's not your business. You don't worry if they're going to accept you or they don't. Whether they think you're an idiot or not, you just speak it and just keep speaking the truth because it's the only thing, says patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. It's the only thing that will truly tell you what is right. And he says, verse 3, for a time is coming. And I believe this is the time we're in. He warned 2,000 years ago of a time coming. The time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They'll make up whatever they feel like and call that truth. And they will look for teachers. Not only will they follow their own desires, they will establish their own. They'll gather groups together. They'll find a teacher who will teach them what they want to hear. And it says in verse 4, they will reject the truth and chase after myths. 
They reject the word of God and they just start a myth. What is a myth? Something that someone may have said it might be true, it might not be true. We reject the truth and we just start thinking, we start going off on our way and he warned us. We need to live by the word. This was a close for this series. Been really excited to get to preach it. So to close it with this, that he is the living word. He's alive. It's written on pages, but it's Jesus Christ come to life. And you put your belief into those pages. Something supernatural begins to happen. It cuts through you. It gets to your heart. And it teaches you which way to go because the devil and the world, his system around you will try to steer you. It's doing it all the time, trying to steer you in its direction. It's making you all of a sudden you start thinking something is right that you didn't think was right five years ago because little bit by little bit, you just kind of came to terms with it. You got used to it. It's like people wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> now you're used to it. But at first you're like, that is really weird. You might still be saying it's weird. But that's what happens. Your mind just... So we need to stay close. He urges us and I'm urging you today. I want to close with some prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us together. I thank you, God, that you preserved your word for all of these years, getting it all the way to us here today because you love us. I thank you, Lord, that your love, it's never ending. It's unlimited for us. And when we give our lives completely and fully to you, I thank you, Lord, that not only do we have eternity with you, but we have life right here and now on the earth. Our eyes are open and we begin to see clearly. We realize how clouded we were seeing before. I thank you, Lord, that your word does that supernaturally in us. And I pray that as your word was planted, Lord, like a seed today, I pray that it would begin to sprout in us and grow to be a tree, Lord, inside of us of life. That all of a sudden we'd look and it was just words, but all of a sudden we'd look inside and we'd begin to see that you're doing something supernatural in us. We begin to think differently. We begin to talk differently. We begin to look, Lord, at other people differently. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to do that because you love us when we look to you and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.